0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. My name is Brad Cooper, and normally at this point, I'd say, and I'll be your host, but we're going to do things a little differently today. Dr. Ian Denikin reached out to me a few months ago and asked if I would be willing to be interviewed on his podcast titled Sleep for Performance out of Australia. He had read some of my research on mental toughness and its application to everyday life and thought it might be a nice addition. I agreed. And he did a great job. And as I was listening to it, I thought, you know, this is probably some stuff that might be of interest to our audience. And if nothing else, they'll at least appreciate his accent. So today's episode, Dr. Ian Denikin will take the controls of the interview itself. Just a reminder, you can always reach out to us at results at institute.com. And we have supplementary materials at that same website, Catalyst Institute. Institute.com Now on with the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast.
1: Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio, January 2019. So many people have sat on the couch over Christmas, drank lots of beer, ate lots of food, probably not done much, and you've all got up and said, right, this is the year I'm going to make it work. Well, today we've got a very special episode with a very special guest. You sound like a guy that owns a massive ranch in America and has lots of money. That's what it sounds
0: like. <laughs> well, yeah. we'll just go with that. <laughs> so,
1: so Brad, can you give us, uh, obviously you're based in the US, you're in Colorado. Can you give us a quick overview of your background um, and how it led you to doing your PhD?
0: Yes, I'll try to keep this short. A physical therapist for 20 some years. In 2007, we started a company called US Corporate Wellness with a, the goal, the design to bring essentially better lives to corporate America, if you will, and, and helping employees make better life choices across the full spectrum. So, yes, food and fitness, but also sleep, also life balance, all these other components. And so, our focus has covered the full gamut of health and wellness in terms of those elements, but especially the personal wellness coaching. And so that's what we're known for in the U.S. is we provide the full gamut of wellness programs, but we almost always incorporate personal wellness coaching into that. And in fact, we have a lot of our competitors that are now having us do their coaching for them just because of the way that reputations develop. So that was the, the early stage of trying to figure out, well, how can we do a better job of, of doing what we're doing And then in 2015, and I think this is maybe what, what brought you to, to me initially was I had a chance to do a a trio of events, the race across America, two person bike race from Oceanside, California to Annapolis, Maryland. It's about 3000 miles. And we, we finished that in about seven days. We won the race. Uh, A couple months later, I, Tried to qualify for the Hawaii Ironman World Championship, which is probably most of the listeners on this podcast already know, is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and a and then a marathon at the end. And the likelihood of competing to the level that you get into the, the World Championship is it's just a long shot. It's you know one to two percent of each group. And then two weeks after that race is over, tried to run a sub three hour marathon at the age of 49, and then the research the reason that research came about was I came out of those three events saying, well, what's up? Like my mental toughness was really good here and really bad here. And then it would spark again. And that wasn't caffeine related. It wasn't blood sugar related. It, it, it just would happen. And so I was curious. I, I, I tried to read everything I could get my hands on in terms of the popular press and it, there, there just weren't answers. And so I decided to go back get my PhD and study mental toughness, variability, the within person, not between person, because that's where mental toughness has historically been studied, is yeah. looking at, is yours better than mine? Well, I don't care. I, it doesn't matter to me at all. I want to know how can I improve yours and how can I improve mine? And so that's what led to this and that's that's where we've gone with the, the, the research so far.
1: That's, that's really cool, Brad. And it's great to you know talk to a, a scientist who actually participates in these activities as well because I think it's a real, real interest in, you know, a narrative that you can bring into your research as well, because not only are you researching it, but you've practiced practiced it as well. And you can bring in them personal experiences to kind of help guide the research and get credibility with athletes as well, which I think is really important.
0: Well, I appreciate that. It brings it to life so much. I mean, I was out at the track doing 800 or 400 repeats the other day and you know I, yes i 'm training, but i 'm also thinking through okay, so what was that finding we had in that last study? Let me apply that to this next rep and see if I can trim three seconds so it, it's it's selfish too, in that i i 'm doing this not only to help our organization to help the broader population, but it 's kind of fun to apply it personally too
1: well and in, in that way and then brad i 'm going to have to confess here because uh this podcast here today is completely selfish because, uh, I've switched from long distance running, as I told you to long distance swimming. I completed my longest swim last week, which of five kilometers in the ocean. And I'm trying to get up to 10 kilometers in the ocean with a view to doing 20 next year. And, um, this podcast is really all about me and how can I get more mentally comfortable <laughs> to do that? So, um,
0: <laughs> well, let's get you there, buddy.
1: So, so Brad at the moment, um, we, we jump on online, let's say Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we see all these kind of ads for different types of coaching and there's mental toughness, there's resilience, there's train like a Navy SEAL, be like a Green Beret, be like a Special Forces guy, you know, push through. What, what's the difference or how, how would you define mental toughness in this kind of world of all of these terms that's getting thrown around at the moment?
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic question. I, I think if you look at the three biggest terms that are out there in terms of uh, this general concept, you have resilience at one end, you have grit at the other end, and you have mental toughness uh, somewhere in the middle. If if you look at the resilience is being defined and redefined by by everyone essentially, but if you look at the original concept, it was about what you bring to the table. So you go through a difficult childhood, you're you're abused as a child. You go through a you know, tough situation there. You, that breaks a lot of people. But the people it doesn't break, it creates this resilience that they carry with them the rest of their lives. And so resilience is really about the past. It's what you bring to the table. Uh, grit, if you read Angela Duckworth's research and her book, it's about the future. It's about keeping that long-term perspective on where you're heading and staying on that path. What I love about mental toughness is it's right now. It is right now. Now, mental toughness needs to be in the context of you caring. You don't, when you, you're listening to this podcast, unless you're running at the same time or or whatever it might be, you're not using mental toughness. You're just kicking back, relaxing. You don't need it at that moment. But there are times in life, whether it's a, a physical pursuit or some change around a New Year's resolution type thing, that if you can draw a little bit more from your your potential capacity, if you will, that can make the difference of succeeding or failing. And so that's where the focus of my research is. And I think if people can keep that that diagram in mind of you've got resilience, past, grit, future, mental toughness right now, that kind of helps put things in context.
1: So that, that's a great way of framing that, Brad. And if we look at resilience first, it, like do we need resilience to have mental toughness? So as your example, if you had a rough childhood or, you know, maybe you didn't get through that childhood very good and you were very well and you were left with some sort of residual mental health issues or emotional issues. Does that mean you can't get mentally tough and you can't have grit? Or do you have to have a good high level of resilience before you can have mental toughness?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't think we've clarified that in the research yet, but my personal opinion is twofold there. One if you look at our model of of uh, essentially the what we call the functional mental toughness concept, and what I mean by that is it's not it's not what your potential capacity is for mental toughness. It's what you're functioning on. So it's how much you're accessing at this moment in this situation. So again, the the broader mental toughness may be your potential capacity, and if you have more resilience, then your potential capacity might be higher. But the functional piece. The FMT is what are we accessing in this moment at this time for this specific activity that we're trying to break through and perform above our natural ability. So to answer your question, would that person bring more to the table? I think they would. Again, I'm, I'm hypothesizing here, but I think if, if you did come through a, a tough childhood or a rough divorce or an angry boss that was constantly on your back, your back then you might build resilience that could give you a greater capacity, but that doesn't mean you're utilizing it. The, the three elements we've identified as impacting functional mental toughness the most are thrive, prepare, and activate. Thrive is the foundation of well-being. It's all those things that, that you kind of introduce there. The prepare is what you're doing to repair specifically, mentally, for the, whatever it is that you're pursuing, the race, the event, the, the presentation, the New Year's resolution, whatever. And then the activate is what you do in that moment. So you have broader thrive, foundational well-being, and then you have prepare. That's the concept of what you're doing to get ready for when the spotlight hits you, you're ready. And then activate is, is when the spotlight's on.
1: Yeah, very, very, um, very interesting. This is something we often talk about with um, or we see in, in martial arts, for example, in combat sports, is people are very good at getting ready for a fight um, very good in the gym, very experienced. But then when the big show comes along, they just kind of fall apart. And this is we can Absolutely. see many, many examples of this. But but also conversely to that then, Brad, um, this is a conversation I have with a friend of mine who's ex-Special Forces, who was on the podcast last season, a guy called Bram Connolly, who was a major in the Australian Commandos. It's a conversation I have with him, I think, off the podcast is how much the situation have got to do with it. So for example, when people go through a selection course for a Special Forces um, place, so whether it be Navy SEALs, Rangers, Green Berets, whatever it might be, those guys at any one time know they can drop out they know it's not real, they know it's not, you know, life and death, really. Although some people do die in those courses. If that was a real life war situation, would those people, you know, perform at a greater level? Would they be more more likely to be like a Navy SEAL or an SAS type candidate? Is there a difference in how the, how the environment and the situation shapes our mental toughness? So... You know, when our lives are up against uh, it uh, or we're really getting pushed here for our own safety, does a different level of mental toughness or, to use your future term, grit, um, present itself?
0: Yeah, I'm not positive I'm catching your question, right? So guide me differently if I'm taking this in the wrong direction. But I, I think what their training is really focused on is that prepare piece of the trilogy. So the thrive is not always there in those settings. The prepare is the main emphasis. They cannot truly create the activate piece, but they can practice it over and over and over and over. So it's more likely that they can activate when they move forward. And, and, and that's what you're looking for in that, that prepare space. Th- things like self-talk, for example, yeah. everybody that's done any kind of reading knows the value of self-talk. And yet you talk to athletes of almost any sport and the number of them that purposely utilize that when they're in that moment, it's actually a very small percentage. And so by, utilize, by by taking that into the prepare phase and saying, okay, I know the value of activate. I need to do it. Here's my specific strategy. Let me lay this out. And in my training, I'm going to utilize these tools that can have a big impact. So that's the direction I would try to take with somebody in that situation.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, that, that was perfect answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, Brad, when we um, coming back to mental toughness, um, what are what are the elements that people need to have or need to train, or what would they need to do to try to increase their mental toughness for the present? So, like I said at the start of the podcast, somebody's got a goal this year to run a marathon, and they want to you know complete a triathlon, they want to run a ten k, whatever it might be. What sort of elements of mental toughness should people look at? And how how, maybe some of the things they could do to improve their own mental toughness?
0: Yeah, sure. I I think any of your listeners who just write these three words down that we've been talking about, and then continually revisit them. So the three words are thrive, prepare, and activate. And then we're gonna we're, we're putting together an assessment that'll help people. Nothing official, not a not a research based assessment, but just something to get people thinking that'll help them look at that and say, oh, yikes, I'm a little weak in the thrive area. Or man, I'm really dropping the ball in the prepare. Whatever. It'll just help them kind of guide that process. But on their own, they can do that a little bit. So if they'll just write those three down and say, okay, I'm wanting to do X, Y, Z. How's my thrive? And so, for example, a lot of your focus is on sleep. That is such a critical, critical. In fact, there's probably not a more critical area for the thrive piece. So is there sleep where it needs to be, both quality and quantity. And if not, they're going to improve their mental toughness by improving their sleep. So that would be an example of enhancing their thrive as they move towards these other things. They could look at the prepare and say, well, okay, I'm running. I'm going to try this marathon, but am I preparing for the tough piece? The, the, that you know When you hit that 18, 20 miles, and doggone it, it doesn't matter who you are, it, it stinks. It's just tough. What are you doing to prepare for that? What types of, of, uh, training, mental training are you, for example, when I was getting ready for the race across America, one of the techniques I used, and I actually got into a bike wreck six weeks before the race and broke eight bones. So I had to be a little bit creative with my training. And one of the things I did during my indoor training was I took a target just a, on a piece of paper and I would stick that in front of me, training indoors on the trainer in my basement. And I'd stick this thing in front of me. I'd turn off computers, phone, music, podcast, TV, the whole works, and just stare at that target and stay focused on the centerpiece. And then I start, if I would start to drift into, you know, if my mind would start to go in other directions, right, I would work my way back in. So I'd start from the outside rings and I just gradually go back to the bullseye and I work on that concentration. So that was an example of the preparation phase. I didn't realize it at the time, but retrospectively, that was a, an example of going through the prepare phase that once I got into that race and I hadn't been sleeping and the competitors were right there and it wasn't the perfect situation I could bring that concentration back into play. So those types of things, if they'll just analyze, do a self-assessment, ask yourself, how am I doing with my foundational well being? How well am I preparing? And then what am I doing in that moment to activate these other pieces? And that'll, that'll really give them a lot of guidance.
1: Excellent, very interesting, very interesting. So Brad, for people who may be sitting at home, again, um, come back to this um, sort of start of the year thing, um, and they may feel like they've had low resilience, um, maybe they've had like like we said, a traumatic childhood. They've been through a rough job, divorce. Some of those examples you used. And um, what could they do in terms of preparing for resilience before that? Even look at mental toughness to get ready for an event, because they may have, you know, probably some. I suppose, existing issues that they may need to work on. Um, any athletes you've worked with before or any examples from the literature, what do people do to kind of improve their resilience as a, as a base before they move into that mental toughness area? Or is that something that's been looked at?
0: Yeah, the, the, the research out there is, people are calling it different things, frankly. So resilience is getting a lot of attention right now. It's a popular word across both athletics and the organizational level, uh, workplace settings, those kinds of things. But the original definition is what you bring to the table. So we're not going to change that now. People are going to argue with me on that. I I get it, but, but that's, that's what it was. So we, we look at that and we say, okay, what elements can we impact? And it, and I don't want to make it too simplistic, but it's pretty straightforward. We need to look at these three areas. Am I thriving? So if I don't have a lot of resilience, I need to do better at X, Y, and Z, the Thrive, Prepare, Activate piece. An example that might be helpful, I, I'm, I'm 52. A lot of my buddies are starting to use age as an excuse. Oh, well, you know what? I'm slowing <laughs> down because I'm in my 50s now. And I just look at them and go, just what are you talking about? Like, you're an idiot. Stop saying that. That's just an excuse. Now, it's not an excuse for the elite athlete. Someone who is literally world class, they've been at the peak of their performance, and they've they've performed at that level that, you know, 0.001% of people hit. I get it. Okay, sure. But for most of us, we've never performed at our capacity ever. So if you're telling me that you can't make up, you've been performing at 60% of your capacity most of your life, buddy. So if you're losing some, yeah, we're losing a little bit, a half percent to a percent every year after 50. But there's so many opportunities to make up for that. With better eating, better sleeping, better use of strategic caffeine, you know this whole thriving piece foundational well being all of those pieces more than make up for that one percent so if you 're telling me that you can 't race as fast as you did at age forty because you 're now fifty you 're full of it again if you 're elite and you're Olympic caliber then i 'll buy that argument, but none of my buddies are Olympic caliber so We've got potential to make up that 1% by doing other things better. And so in your example of somebody who has limited resilience, maybe they were coddled as a kid, maybe they never, you know, had those challenges put in front of them, or maybe they were broken by them. And so they're coming to the table with low resilience. Okay, that's, how, that's just how it is. We'll just move forward. What can you impact? And that's where you look at these three elements of how can I enhance my thrive? How can I enhance my preparation? How can I enhance my my the way that I activate in the midst of that? And there are so many opportunities to work on all three of those. It may not fully make up for the resilience piece for someone else who comes at it from the other angle of having huge resilience, but doggone it, we don't care. It's not the between person. It's the within person that really yeah. matters. I think you're
1: right. I think there's this kind of, near the expectation in western society that once you get over a certain age that you should slow down you have to slow down where it's kind of like uh, here you know f that let's keep pushing let's keep moving because um, then right. once you start slowing down you start gaining weight you start you know getting tired and, and sort of getting lethargic and it's, it's more about your approach to life and then everything right. else starts to fall apart and i've seen this with other people as well where to make that mental shift go I'm going to get fit I'm going to like you know reduce alcohol whatever it is and they become new people at the age of 50 on the, on the back of that Brad and like in that thrive in that thrive area and um, with some of the corporations you work with is that really what you're focused on is getting them to thrive first before you think you talk about mental toughness and grit and just to get them to a base level Of sort of operating, like just implant an operating system into them, really about daily activity and general health and well being to be fit for work to perform their job first before they move into, you know, sort of um, athletic endeavors.
0: It it really is. Our our focus is with everyday employees, so we're not working with elite athletes primarily, although there are a few elite athletes that are that are uh, are working with us through their companies, if you will. But our work through the Catalyst Coaching Institute is certifying coaches for the International Consortium for Health and Wellness Coaches. And all that training is around how to draw out of the individual what matters most to you. A coach does not come to you and say, you need to do A, B, and C. An effective coach says, what's most important to you? And then let's create a plan together, or frankly, help the employee or the, the client create that plan. And then the coach helps helps them move forward by asking the right questions, setting specific targets, those kinds of things. So you're exactly right. The Thrive piece is where we as an organization focus our time, but at some level, we start to move into the prepare and activate. And I'm actually going to be doing a keynote out in Cincinnati next week where I'll be talking about that to a group of, of human resource managers and, and leaders. So hopefully we'll get more opportunities to present this concept because I think it's very powerful and can make a big difference.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting. And like you, Brad, as well, I work across, you know, industry and elite athletes and, um, there's lots of crossover, but in the, in the industry phase of the work that I do, a lot of it is about embedding, um, you know, a kind of a framework and a foundation where people can move off that and you will find some high level or amateur athletes within those groups as well who you can give them some more of these kind of information pieces that come from the elite athletes Um, But I think if you show the framework of how it works in sport to organizations, they're quite intrigued by that and it can help kind of paint the picture. And to use your example of the Thrive, Prepare and Activate, I think showing that to uh, organizations is very helpful. And we often do that within the sleep world as well, where we show about embedding a kind of a fatigue risk management system um, or alertness management system and then how that works in terms of creating the... The foundation for elite athletic performance when we work with elite rugby or fighters, whoever it might be, to move to that next level, and we show that like sleep is the number one recovery tool that's free and provides that baseline as well. And that's why I like your model here that you've, you keep coming back to because it shows, you know, in a very nice way how people can go off. Um, how can people can analyze the different phases are in resilience, mental toughness, or grit, and when to use it, but also to thrive, prepare, and activate, which is a a great kind of thing for people to remember. So um. It's extremely beneficial for for people at home excellent so so brad let's 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 look at an example right let's let's take this example of this group that I'm in at the moment and you know we're working through um um when we work through it if that's all right, sure so we've got these group of people are like um it's about about fifty to sixty people their age somewhere between average age is probably. Late thirties, early forties. We'll say forty for argument's sake. They all want to swim to this island off Perth, which is twenty kilometers away. They want to do this long-distance swim. It's a solo crossing. Um, it can't be, you know, aided by any boats or whatever. Like you can have boats like throwing sure. uh, food and water and so on, but you can't be touching the boat or getting dragged. The water is going to be about twenty, twenty-one degrees Celsius. Um, people are going to swim anywhere from five to ten hours to get across here, and they're training in a in a four-month block um or 16 weeks and they're right in the middle of that now sort of post christmas in this sort of example how would you recommend if people are struggling with kind of continuing to train or they're dropping out or they're getting injuries or they're kind of doubting themselves whether they can do this this race at the moment um where where do you think they should start in terms of looking at their at their approach to their trend and their mindset
0: Yeah, again, come back to this concept of functional mental toughness. You have an amount that's available to you, but how much functional mental toughness are you drawing? How much of that are you accessing? And if you feel like, you know, control the controllables, basically. If you feel like you're falling short, first of all, ask yourself, because part of Thrive is, do you care? Like you don't need functional mental toughness if you don't care. So if you're just out there because your buddy dragged you out there, or your your you know you your spouse's ex boyfriend was doing it, so you're trying to prove something, that may not be enough. And so you may need to examine internally: Is this really part of who I am? Am I do I care? Do, does this matter to me enough to draw on functional mental toughness, or am I just going through the motions? Because functional mental toughness only comes into play when you care. Otherwise, it's off the table. So I think that would be my first question is, do I really care? Now, if I do really care, and I'm falling short, then I need to go back to this self-assessment and say, okay, let me start with Thrive, because that's such a basic, easy-to-analyze area. How am I sleeping? What is my alcohol intake? How is my fueling? Is my general health good? How's my stress? How am I managing my stress? All of those components and then fix those. Again, control the controllables. If you've got a shoulder injury, that may be out of control. But if it's, a, if it's a mental piece where you say, I'm just, I don't care enough, well, then maybe we can get that by improving our sleep or these other elements. So I would start there. Look at that first. Control those basics. And then from there, say, okay, we've got that dialed in. I'm sleeping well. I'm eating well. I'm, I'm watching the alcohol, all those kinds of things. Now let's move to phase two. Prepare. How do I need to prepare? Where am I breaking down? When am I falling short? What could I do that would change that? If it's always hour four, how could I set myself up to experience that mentally? One of the things I used to do for for triathlons is I would sign up for a a half marathon and I would go out to the parking lot three hours before the race and get on my bike trainer and just ride on my trainer for two, two and a half hours. And then five minutes before the race starts, i throw my bike in the car, throw my running shoes on, and run the race. And what that did is it created this race scenario. I wasn't just doing a brick workout. I wasn't just doing a bike run. I was doing a moderate – I wasn't killing myself on the bike, but a moderate bike, and then literally racing and trying to be as close to winning that half marathon as I could, coming off that bike for two hours. So that created this mental – Preparation, if you will, for when I got in a half Ironman. Yes, there's still a swim on there in, in front, but that's a half hour, and then boom, similar bike, similar run, and that wasn't a surprise. I was ready for it. So have that person look at where are they breaking down? Is it hour four? Is it hour six? How can they set that up? How can they create fatigue or mental uh, struggles leading into that? If they always work out in the morning, for example, when they're fresh and they're ready to go, and and they haven't had any mental drains on their day. What if they shifted and started doing their, you know, if, if they can shift their work schedule and have a long, hard day of work where they're trying to do a lot of stuff and maybe they even don't eat all that well, you know, kind of purposely deplete the, the body and then go out and do that three-hour swim at four o'clock in the afternoon and see how do I respond now? So you're, you're essentially that preparation. Preparation is all about putting yourself in the scenario so that when it's go time, when the spotlight shines, you've been there already, essentially in your mind at least. And so it's analyzing that piece and then moving forward. And I think if they do those two things, they're going to be there. Yeah,
1: I love I love that reasoning and rationale, uh, Brad. I think it's such an important thing. Um, you know, personally, um, you know, when you have a goal or something you want to achieve, whether it be either physically or academically or in business. I think it's it 's what drives you and just writing down your goals you know um about what you want to achieve is is very powerful. it may seem a lot of people laugh at it, but i 've seen people write down on a piece of paper in a blank a four you know in two years' time I want to earn x amount, I want to be in a job where i 'm working in technology, I want to have my master 's degree, and you pick up that piece of paper two years later, and you know i 've seen people go, "Wow, I actually did all that, and it's very powerful about writing those down or repeating those or you know, um, having those at the forefront of your mind, which actually leads into my next part is uh, when it comes to race day, Brad, whether it be a swim, a run, or whatever it might be, and come back to our example here, these guys swimming, what, what can people do on a day, such as mantras or self talk or, you know, repeating a phrase or whatever it might be? What have you seen that works pretty well?
0: First of all, if you haven't, you know the old saying, don't do anything new on race day? If, if you yeah. haven't practiced it, it's not going to work. You're, you're just, you're setting yourself up for failure and you're wasting your time. So if you're going to use self-talk on race day, make sure that's part of your practice. Make sure you break it up into here are the words I'm going to use at this time, during this section, uh, during this phase, whatever it might be, practice that in training so that it's automated when you get to race day. So, so that's the biggest thing. Self-talk you know, if you look at the literature on that, it's it's getting stronger practically by the day in terms of what we're seeing with that. Um, so take advantage of that. The The whole concept of you've been there is is a big one and reminding yourself you've been there. I think on race day, if you can look at it and say, okay, I've done this, that changes your perspective so much because you're not, you're not freaking out. You're not like, Oh, my gosh, I'm at the start of the Hawaii Ironman World Championship. This is crazy. You, you just say, you know what? I've been here. Yeah, it wasn't the exact same spot, but I've, I've done this. I've ridden the exact same distance. I've run the exact same race in similar humidity. You know, whatever. Um, but reminding yourself of that. And then the little things like smiling. It, it, it sounds so hilarious, but if you watch the Nike two-hour project, even at that level with the greatest athletes, not just of our generation, but maybe ever, the guy that came in 24 seconds over the, the two-hour mark, even under some artificial conditions, you saw him using that smiling technique up until the last, what, 800 meters, mile, something like that. So that's a powerful one, too. And that one is probably one you could use without a lot of practice, if you remember the practicing piece allows you to kick that in and, and remember as you go forward. So uh, those would be a few things you could try out of the gate. You know what? what one other thing, things, Ian, you, you mentioned the, the writing goals down. Uh, we just recorded on, on, on our podcast, the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast, we just recorded an episode on kind of moving a slightly different direction instead of directly goals, looking more at a theme or a vision. Uh, one of the things we see with people is, when they set goals and the way you described it, it totally makes sense and it works, but a lot of people will set goals that, that they're, they're not necessarily them. And so what we encourage people to do is take a step back. Instead of writing the goal first, identify the vision of the person you want to become the who, once you have the who in place, the what is pretty simple. But if you identify the what first, which would be your goals, it's not always lined up with the who. And then they usually fail within a few weeks. So we encourage people, and you may want to take a peek at that one. It's all about themes. And how do we identify a theme for our life for the next year or a vision for our life for the next year of who are we going to be? And then once that who is in place, well, then the goals pretty much are just walking through the motions. So it, it really is a powerful process for somebody that takes the time to do that.
1: That, that's that's pretty interesting. If we come back to like on race day, we were talking about self-talk and mantras and so on. And um, people often describe in these long distance events about getting into a flow state and they feel like everything is this magical bliss and they're floating along and they're sort of transcend, transcending the, the actual day. What is it, Brad, that gets people into that flow state? Um, and why does it last and why does it not last? Or why does it kind of sometimes pulse throughout a race? Do, do you have any thoughts or comments on that?
0: You know, that's probably part of what pulled me into this PhD research was wanting to be able to recreate that in a competitive situation. And so your question is truly the million dollar or <laughs> many million dollar question. Um, but I, th- I think if you look at Chi Tai's original research on flow, it occurs when that challenge and skill level exactly match up. And in fact, maybe the challenge is just a smidgen, just a minuscule, outside your skill level. So you're slightly stretching, but it's not so much that it becomes discouraging. Um, so it, you to start with, you have to for it to have potential. You have to be in a situation where that is possible. If you're always pursuing things that are below your skill level or well within your skill level, the old comfort zone thing. I don't want to overuse that word because it, it ridiculously is, is overused. But just, is there anything in your life that is slightly outside or at least at the boundaries of your, of your skill level? Or is everything you're doing far below that? Because if so, you'll never, you're, you're never going to experience that flow state. So that's the first thing. And then with the, the, the other pieces are the things we've been talking about today. In order to get into that state, You've got to put yourself in a place where you have the potential for it, and then you need to get these other pieces in place to thrive, prepare, and activate to allow you to function consistently at the outer boundaries of that.
1: Mm. Very interesting. The, the problem is with a podcast like this, Brad, is as you're talking, I'm writing and I'm thinking and I can't think <laughs> about the question I want to ask you next because it's so interesting. <laughs> I find myself drifting off thinking about different things here as, as we speak, which is probably not great for our listeners, but um, <laughs> I am, I'm I'm mega interested in this because um I'm you know, going through different challenges myself personally and um, always looking for something next to kind of test sure. myself me too this is a fascinating area for me and i i find it really interesting because i find in 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 some events that i'm nearly like this dual personality where i'm observing myself and you know i'm talking to myself or i'm giving out to myself or i'm, I'm getting mad at myself why i'm not doing something well enough and and so on it's interesting how with different sports whether it be jujitsu or even at a yoga class because i'm so inflexible and so broken um you know, the self-talk that goes on, whether it be negative or positive or right. in a pool or running or whatever it might be. But what I do find interesting is that the more experience and the more trend I do and the more kind of, let's say, a work in inverted commas that I put into an effort, in an effort I put into a task, the more positive the self-talk becomes um, over time. And so, like you said, it's like you've been here before. So like last week, I swam 5Ks in the ocean, which Is nothing for long distance swimmers. For me, that was the equivalent of like winning the New New York Marathon. You know, it was massive. I felt so good because only two weeks before that, I swam my furthest ever in the ocean, which was three point three k's. And back in October, I'd never even swam three kilometers in a swimming pool uh, without the aid of like fins and pool boys and so on. So in a very short space of time, getting that experience. Um, has been extremely beneficial to, for me. And like you said, replicating those conditions. And with that, now my confidence has gone up. You know, I've been promoted up a lane in in, in our group. My confidence has gone up. i spent more time in the ocean because it's going to be ocean swimming. And to your right. point, I think replicating those conditions as much as possible, doing the work. And now I feel like my my thrive, I suppose, phase is, is increasing. Or oh, you're prepared. Improving, yeah, because yeah. of preparation. So, yeah. you know you, could, you can do as much mental toughness as you wish in terms of mantras and self-talk, but if that Thrive piece isn't there and you have not put in the work, no amount of mental toughness or self-talk is going to get you through if you haven't you know, got yourself race ready on the day. Um, exactly. So have you ever seen people in lieu of doing the proper training try to use self-talk or is that just a wasted effort?
0: Oh, that's a fool's game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. F- functional mental toughness is the tiebreaker when all other things are equal. If you're not prepared physically, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it matters. It's going to help you drag yourself through it, but it's not going to help you perform. And if we're looking for performance, that's a different area. So you've got to be physically prepared to go in there and get it done. And then the functional mental toughness will allow you to perform slightly above what, your expecta- what, what normal expectation would be based on your, your performance. That, that's where mental toughness comes in. If you think about like an underdog, the, we, we love the underdog because you see the underdog performing above what you thought they were going to do. That's what makes them an underdog. Mm -hmm. And if you want, and that's where mental toughness comes in is it allows you to function slightly above, slightly 1%, 3% above what you should have been expected to do. It is not the base. The base is the physical training and preparation. The functional mental toughness allows you to outperform that physical preparation by a very small amount, but it could be the amount that makes the difference.
1: Brad, in your work or shifts of focus off the athlete and more towards the coaching and the support, and um, in your work dealing with athletes and even businesses or talking to other coaches, um, how can a coach help athletes around you know the resilience, mental toughness, and grit, and the thrive, prepare, and activate pieces? Um, because and some of the coaches I've spoken to, some are like, look, these guys or these girls <coughs> are, are great. They don't need anything. They're here. They're putting in the work. Generally at the elite levels that, that happens and they're kind of most of them are, are pushing it because it's a full time job for them, because they're getting paid. But then when we get to the older athletes particularly who are in that amateur bracket or doing something like this swim or training for a marathon, um, and it's not life or death for them. They've got a full-time job, they've got kids. They like having, you know, a few glasses of wine on a Friday night. Um, they want to do their MBA part time. They're trying to do everything, <laughs> and they don't want right. to drop anything. What advice do you give to coaches or athletes around that, from a kind of a external point of view, um, about managing all those other, other kind of activities that's happening that may be detracting them away from the thrive and the and the preparation piece?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think decide in advance how much do you care? Is this a social activity? Are you doing this because your buddies are doing it and it's something to do on a Saturday morning like a golf game? Or do you have dialed in specific targets that you're committed to and you've talked through with your family and you've looked at your schedule and they make sense. It's a fool's journey to set a goal that doesn't fit with life. And, and I get that. I Believe me, I get that. Before I sign up for an Ironman, that's a conversation my wife and I have is, does it make sense to do this this year? Because we know the commitment that's involved with that. But once that decision has been made, decide – am I sticking with, like maybe you reassess on a monthly basis. Okay. A month ago, I said that I was committed to qualifying for the Hawaii Ironman or racing the race across America or doing this incredible swim that you're scheduled to do. But is my schedule conducive to that? And if it's not, does that mean I cancel my participation? Does it mean I lower my expectations or do I realign my schedule at work and home? And if we, we can't, you, you, like I said, you you can't you can't create something out of nothing. If either we don't care anymore, or our schedule doesn't work with it, then we need to either change expectations or change the plan. No, I, I, that's that's uh, that's that's great advice. I think
1: it's um, I think it's great, and I think like for people who maybe halfway through a, a training program at the moment or at the start, it's it's great advice because maybe maybe it is time to pull the plug. Maybe it's not right. Maybe you lower exactly. your expectations. Maybe and that's can, okay. Yeah, that's okay. But like, like you say, it's realistic. You know, there's no point in, in, in destroying your career, your marriage, your relationship. Exactly. Other things just for the sake of ticking a box because, you know, you thought that's what you had to do. Um, well,
0: and, and I, I, Ian, I think something I realized a few years ago, and I'm still not very good at applying it, but I came to the realization that, you know who cares how I finish in a race? There are only two people. Well, maybe three. Me, the person that was right in front of me and the person that's right behind me. My family doesn't care. My friends don't care. The race director doesn't care. Nobody cares. And I think we forget that. We blow this stuff up in our heads as if we're some professional athlete performing in the Super Bowl. Folks, I got bad news for you. That's not you. (laughs) Just basic people. We're out there having fun. It's our hobby. And again, I can say this very easily. I'm not very good at applying it. But I think when we realize, hey, like you said, it's not worth messing my marriage up. It's not worth taking too much time away from being a dad to these great kids. That's, we, uh, it's not worth losing my job over this thing. You, people get crazy with these things. Endurance yeah. sports kicks in this, the psychosis, I think. And we're like, no, I've got to <laughs> give up my job to qualify for Ironman. No, you don't. It's, not, it's cool and it's an awesome life-changing event to a point. But so is losing your job because you're an idiot. Yeah.
1: And I, and I think, Brad, to that point, there's lots more things that people can give up, you know, if, they want to, if they're want if they looking to, you know, look for hmm. some age in their totally. training. You know, you can, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. take alcohol yeah. out for, for a period totally. of time. You can stop socializing, you know, on yes. certain times. You can focus on your sleep. You can stop watching, you know, crappy Foxtel shows or, you know, Fox Sports in the evening or watching yeah. reruns of Dawson's Creek. We can all we can all find time somewhere. Exactly. You know, um, we're all we're all guilty of that. So we can we can all find time somewhere to um t- to focus on these other areas. So I think I think that's a that's a great point, and um, you know, it's very important.
0: And it's just like the fifty year old athlete that uses age as an excuse when they haven't frankly optimized their physical performance ever in their life. But well, I'm getting old, so that's why I'm slow. No, but it's just because you're not training anymore. <laughs> but same same thing for that person. And your point is very well stated that. It, 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 the time isn't because of your family. It's not because of your work. It's because you're disorganized. It's because you're not dialed in. Mm -hmm. Um, I get that question constantly of how do you, how are you the CEO for a wellness company and training for this Ironman or whatever, 20 hours a week. And I say, well, I'm, I'm on the bike at 5am on Saturday. What are you doing? You know, so you you don't go for a ride with the group ride at 10am and miss the whole day with your family no you don't you if you're really committed to this prove it don't say it prove it by being on that bike at 5 a.m that's a different story yeah you've got to do the work yeah
1: that's uh, i'm gonna say i'm half five saturday morning we're at the pool or you know we're swimming yeah. five six kilometers it's you got to do the work people people see the glory at the end of the day across the finish line or or just think that it's all easy for you they don't they don't see the the hard work that goes into it um You know, my wife and I speak about this. She's got a background in human movement and natural medicine. We speak about this a lot, about how, you know, people say to us, well, it's all right for you. You don't like junk food and uh, you like to run. I'm like, well, actually, you know what? I'm, you know, I, I love junk food and I actually don't like running and I don't like all these things, but I like how it makes me feel when I'm in the middle of it and I like how I feel at the end. I said, you know, I think I don't want to sit at home on the couch and, you know, scratch my balls and watch tv and eat crap food of course i do like but you've got to just kind of you know have that self-talk and you know have that grit and and sort of that inner mongrel as we say here in australia and just get up and go for it because if you don't like what what's going to happen what's the the downside is is too much for me it's uh, i i know i feel like crap i know i can't perform cognitively i know mentally i'm going to be i'm going to be washed out so i i gotta get up and do it and so on the back of that, Brad, if, if people are in the middle of that trend and they are thinking about, you know, dropping out, like we said, and sometimes that's okay, what's the benefits for people if they do stay in the trend and they do keep going? What what benefits do you see for people outside of, you know, their chosen sport, whether it be swimming, long distance running or uh, long distance cycling? What benefits do people bring into the rest of their life from going through these adverse um Sort of training programs and conditions and events. What what, what benefits do people bring into their general um, life?
0: Great question, and maybe the most important question we've talked about because general life is a lot more important than these fun things that we're doing as hobbies. So, in terms of okay, you're you're kind of hitting a wall. You're not sure to continue. You decide to continue. Make some sacrifices in other areas with Netflix or you know whatever it might be, and and you power through it. That just became a preparation piece that fits in that preparation section for other aspects of your life. You've just shown yourself that I can do this. I can pull through when things are down, when the chips are down, et cetera, et cetera. And so you've you've created this, this vision of you and your life and the things that you can accomplish in one area that then carries over into other areas. And so I think that's one of the biggest benefits is that ability to, I did it here that is preparation, not only for future events, but for future life. And that's kind of a cool thing to walk away with.
1: That's, great. that's a great point and a great way to end the podcast, Brad. Brad, that was that was awesome. I, I think I could talk to you all day about this and <laughs> make up millions of examples and 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 you know bring you around in a circus with me and talk to lots of people. I think it would be, be great. Um, unfortunately, uh, the oceans and land divide us, but I do really appreciate your time today, Brad. Um. Uh, and and this is uh, this has been an awesome uh, podcast for me to record with you. So I really appreciate that. If people want to get in contact with you, Brad, what's the best way? How can they follow your work? How can they, you know, see all the great work that
0: you're doing? Yeah, probably two areas. Email if they have any specific questions is B as in Brad Cooper, C O O P E R at uscorporatewellness dot com. They're on Twitter and they like that route. It's at Catalyst. The number two thrive so catalyst to thrive with the two being a number two excellent
1: and what, what's your podcast brad you spoke about a podcast earlier on that i'm going to subscribe to on them um...
0: yeah it's the catalyst health and wellness coaching podcast it's designed for health and wellness coaches to help there, there are a million wellness type podcasts out there but there's nothing to help wellness coaches become better coaches and so we cover everything from in fact you and i may need to talk about this we just had another sleep expert on there i'd love to get you on in the coming months uh, we had somebody talking about the, the overlap between mental health and coaching and how the two work together. We've looked at all kinds of different things, but it's essentially health and wellness tips for the general population, but also helping coaches become better coaches.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, I, and that was like one of my questions today about the coaches as well. I think a lot of times in these, um, in these research projects or in these um, discussions, we overlook the coaches and um, you know, how, how we can support those. Really appreciate your time and look forward to talking soon.
0: Sounds great. Thanks, Ian. Well, I hope you found a couple nuggets in there. Again, thanks to Dr. Ian Denneken of Sleep for Performance podcast. Great job. It was a lot of fun. If you have any questions for us at the Catalyst Coaching Institute, you can email us at results at com. If you've been pondering the retreat in September up in Estes Park, Colorado, it may be worth a look. That early registration deadline is coming to a close, and we've just about filled those spots. So you may want to take a look at that. It's catalystcoachinginstitute.com slash retreat, or you can just go to the website and go to the retreat tab, and and you'll find it there. As always, thank you for spreading the word. This podcast somehow, some way is is garnering a lot of traction, and and it's you. So I, I really appreciate it. Keep up the great work there. Until next time, let's all keep working towards better than yesterday for ourselves, our clients, our family, and our community. Make it a great day, and I look forward to speaking with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast.